0: This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 178. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian. What the f***?
1: Buster. Yeah, you guys definitely heard that, didn't you?
0: I am your host Brian Hood. I'm here (laughs) with my big, bald, beautiful co-host and his loud dog. And I'm sitting here wondering, should we just redo this whole intro? No, Christopher J.
1: Graham. How you doing today, Chris? (laughs) I'm doing great, man. I've had a weird day of, you know, eye doctor, dentist, doctor. Like I did all my things. I batched today was my. It's a self. It's a self care day. It was, yeah. And saw him there, and Buster's. (laughs) It's it's not a good
0: place to be. You're not even here. I'm not even sure that you're here, Chris. Like I'm you're, here. you're so distant
1: right now that I'm like, is Chris Graham even here today? Well, when Buster starts barking, it's like, wait, is everything safe? There's <laughs> a ghost in your house.
0: There's hundred percent a ghost in your house right now.
1: It's Instacart with my delivery outside.
0: Not sponsored by, thank you very much, Chris, for bringing that brand on here. These big brands trying to take over the world. Oh, snap. You you know what? I'll tell you what, guys.
1: Link in the description. I've been using Instacart like crazy. Oh, shut the hell up. No (laughs) way. Are you serious? Yes. Like, because... For me, my time is super valuable and I don't like going to the grocery store. It's also... Do they have an affiliate link that you're about to put in the description? Yes, of the podcast? I am. <laughs> I'm going to
0: put my affiliate link down there, boys. Oh my God. Look at look at marketer Chris here. I love it. Like I don't have to go to the grocery store almost ever anymore. I hate the grocery store. This episode is officially sponsored by Chris Graham's affiliate link to Instacart. Link yeah, in the bro. description.
1: Oh my God. Click that link. Get you some groceries. I think you get 10 bucks in free groceries if you use my link.
0: I use Shipt, S-H-I-P-T, which has been incredible, flawless, the best shoppers on earth. But I, I am 100% with you, Chris. I do not shop for groceries. My wife does not shop for groceries. We have that stuff delivered to our house because you know why, Chris? I know you know why. Because our time is valuable and it's better spent elsewhere, whether oh, that's, that's in my business system. or whether that's with my wife. Yeah, I know, Chris. Everything's a system to you. Yeah, think of the system.
1: Think of the system. Go ahead. Think of how stupid grocery stores are. Yeah. Walk true. in with a list of things you want and try to find them good luck there's no map there's like some signs that are like dog food and cereals in this aisle <laughs> but there's other stuff in that aisle too that's not dog food or cereal and you just have to anticipate well that's sort of like cereal i guess i'll try this aisle and you just like you, you worm around the whole thing it's designed to make you impulse buy
0: Dude, if you legitimately did the math on how much time you spend to go to the grocery store for like your weekly or like your major groffings, and you actually do the math on how much extra you're paying for the shoppers to do it it's an insignificant amount of money that you're paying for that sort of service. So reinvest in your time and, and your business people. All right, let's let, us uh, let us bring our guest in here today. Cause he's just been politely staring at us when we talk about <laughs> stupid grocery dealer. You probably heard a third voice. If you're not listening, watching on YouTube and you're thinking, Ooh. what was that voice? There is a spirit in Kishkam's house. Our guest today is none other than Mr. John McLucas, who is actually part of the dream team for the the very first course, the uh, six figure home studio put out called the profitable Cruiser course. John, Ooh. I'm glad to finally have you on the podcast like three years after you joined that course.
2: This is like such a full, full circle moment for me. I, I didn't even know I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know if I might get emotional today, like thinking about the journey of it. Cause we met when I was living on the floor of that rehearsal studio unit. And I took that course sleeping on that foam pad. And then to be here now today, like it's, it, it, it closes, not well, not a closed chapter, but it's a, it's been a journey and it's wild to be in this moment. And I'm, I am just really excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you, man. Like, okay. So. For those who don't know, 6-figure home studio was the original brand of 6-figure creative and John was one of the first 50 students I ever had in my first like flagship course called the profitable producer course and John at the time that he joined the course was sleeping on the floor of his studio in LA cuz it was like the most expensive it's the most expensive city to live in and he went through the course and you were an awesome testimonial at the end and even seeing like your your like exit interview video from that point where you'd already seen some success to now, like it is a night and day difference. And we were talking beforehand and I ask you permission on this, but you've, you've brought in like over $130,000 in the last year for your home. Is it still a home studio or is it not? Do you have a commercial space now?
2: Well, technically I have even less than a home studio. I have a, I I'm traveling around right now. Like I don't actually have a a set home. So 90% of my work is done on the laptop and the VSX headphones I'm wearing right now. And then I go to studio, like last week I was in LA for two weeks to record vocals for a bunch of stuff. And then now I'm going to go at back and send them off for editing and do all that. So it's actually just two Pelican cases of studio that I unravel and ravel up to go places and using the internet and a jacked up MacBook for really the rest of it.
1: You're so cool, John. You are so cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> That's awesome,
2: man.
0: So it's, it's really fun to always get our, like, anytime we can get a community member on the podcast, we always enjoy it. And John has a special place in my heart just because of how long he's been around and how much I've seen him grow. Uh, and today he's going from this, not, a, he's, he's officially going from the student to the teacher, but you've been the teacher for a while now, honestly. So this is it's, honestly, it's past due time to get you on this podcast here. So today we're going to talk about not really so much your journey, because we've probably talked about that on kind of like a case study interview we did with you, John, but more than anything, I think we can talk about what is working in your business to be able to earn what you're earning with what you currently just stated that you're doing it with. I, I know so many commercial studio owners who are going to have a call with them and they'll, they'll be trying to help me to, to crack the marketing code for them. Here's a hint. It's not your $500,000 of gear that you have in the studio. And if anything, the the debt note you're paying on that monthly is even making it even harder because people like John McLucas are touring around the world with a laptop and a couple of Pelican cases and crushing you. It has something to do with a special sauce that I think John McLucas has here. And we're going to discuss that today. So John, I think a really fun place to start here. I always think of things linearly. And so when I think things linearly, I think of top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. And I really like approaching interviews in that way, especially when it's an interview of somebody who's doing really well.
2: Yes. I've noticed that. I kind of, th- I assumed that was the, that was going to be the flow today.
0: Yeah. 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 So for anyone who's not familiar with what that term is, I talk about it all the time. So go back and listen to more episodes. I'm not going to give you a revamp of that here, but John for top of funnel for you, for a way of generating awareness for what it is actually before we even go to that, what do you do? Give give people a rundown on what you do. So so people are, are kind of really well grounded and know what we're we're talking about from this point on.
2: Yeah. I am a traveling pop producer. So my primary job is working with singer songwriters and pop artists creating instrumentals really creating uh, creating the full universe around their vocals and doing it in a really collaborative way like my my process specifically is very open ended a lot of kind of white glove i guess to say like like personal time together it's not the and this is just not how i do things it's not like cool vocal here track okay you done vocals cool here mix like it's it's very it's it's a more personalized long term relationship where we take the time and really nurture their story, what, what they want to sound like, what they want to feel like when people hear it and create something that, you know, my, my my tagline has been, uh, you know, like making memorable music or some, I've been playing with variations of that. We want it to be something memorable where they look back in a decade and it's not out of fashion. It's not out of style. Like they can look back as a class, like that's a classic John piece, you know, a classic Brian piece across cl- class, classic Chris piece. And that's, that's the core of it. There's some other things that are more auxiliary, but that's the heart of my business and how I work with and serve people. You said
0: something there that actually made me want to change the direction of what we're going to talk about first. And, and it's, it's because you said it's, it's, a white, it's a white glove service, meaning like it's very high touch. You put a lot, a lot of time, effort, and energy collaborating with your clients. And, and this brings up a really interesting point is that the only reason you're able to do that is because from what we've discussed, at least you charge premium prices for what you do. And for those who are just putting clients through a machine and just churning people out endlessly, those people have to do that because they're not able to charge a premium for what they do. So they're forced to just churn people through a machine endlessly, and they're not able to put the amount of collaboration and care and and love into it. Can you talk about how your pricing projects are kind of the ballpark of of pricing? Because I think that's an area so many people get stuck on. They want to spend white glove premium amounts of time with people at rock bottom prices. And that that model does not
2: work. (laughs) It's an anxiety model. (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, um no that that's great so if people are just for like a 60 second context when they talk about being a pop producer i mean that can mean a lot of things to people the majority of artists that i work with and we create music together are people who have either like a bare bones demo or they might have found a loop and pasted it through and written a demo sang to it or they just sing into their phone and they're like here it is to a, they, like here's with a little click track going and, and have it off to me. So we're building it from the base, and I'm I'm doing everything from all the every pretty much every sound you hear, all the vocal arranging sometimes too. I'm coming in with harmony sheets and uh, MIDI and arranging four part choirs and you know coaching them through how they should be singing and, and really going deep in it. So just for some context, because people might hear producer and it's like oh you just give them the beat. It, it's like no, we're I'm starting from the, the dirt with them and building the house.
1: You want to help them understand who they are as part of making their music.
2: Yeah, it's not. I think there's obviously the market for people who want instrumentals and a right to that. And that's just not what I do. So people who want that kind of relationship, just don't hit me up because it's pretty clear (laughs) that that's not what I do. Um, So prices range anywhere from, depending on what they're looking for, around $2K a song. If we're doing kind of what I think it would be without talking to them, like full arrangement. I'm helping them with their vocal recording. We're doing this. We're even helping. I bring in songwriters to help with lyrics and arrangement and harmony stacks and anything that they need. I have actually a new orchestral arranger too on, on hold for when I need him. So around 2K would be like the starting price for that. Assuming we're not renting like a mega studio for their vocal day.
0: Yeah. So with that, like, how long did it take you to build up to that sort of pricing, and what sort of what sort of mindset shifts, if any, did you have to break through to get to that kind of pricing level?
2: When I okay, when I first started with you, I think by the end of it, I was six hundred a song, and that was from three hundred a song. I was about six to eight hundred a song. A quick doubling of pricing. Quick doubling, and then it's doubled again. But every time I've doubled, I've realized how much better I can help people. And I think the hardest part with the mindset is believing because when you're a lot cheaper when you are the the costco cut or whatever you want to call it you end up attracting those kinds of people and it's very hard to realize that there are people who are artistic are in various situations i think okay this is what it is i had this conversation with somebody oh i'm so excited this is why i like being here is i think we forget that there's a lot of artistic people who have jobs and want to invest back into their creative passions and what they want to do with their life i think the archetype that we like as creative freelancers create of other creatives is that they are, you know, these, these, you know, I I bleed by the art and I don't, you know, da, 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 da. but there's so many people I've worked with who have, who are great at what they do, have other sources of income and say, Hey, I know what it's like when people hire me to help them find a great home. So I want to find somebody who serves me as well as I serve, you know, my job that I work. So there's this, it's it just took me, I think, the first couple to realize that those people exist. You know, I, I'm very open to work with all kinds of people, but to know that there are, yeah, people who are artistic and creative who work in real estate and who have a job in this tech place or they they're salespeople themselves and are good at sales. And so they're like, Yeah, I, I want to keep crushing sales, so let me get the songs done. And then I have great Rooney songs, and then I can use those great songs to da-da-da. And it's this upward spiral. Like they just they do exist, but you can't understand that when you're charging four hundred dollars for 40 hours of your time and you get become cynical and jaded through the confirmation bias that I think ends up being inevitable because you build that reality and, and it only takes one person to show you that that's different. And I think that was the hardest point is like having that first person who kind of took the leap. I was like, wow, you said yes to that. Great. Cool. And then like, and then I just went in and did it.
1: And that brings up such a great conversation. I think that it's the same for most people is that they have to get in a position. First of all, where they can throw out a quote that they're totally okay with losing.
2: Oh, that's yeah, that's a big part.
1: Yeah, you throw out that, you, you find that client or that client fi- finds you where you're like, mm, I'm gonna ask for a lot more than I normally would. A lot of times people will throw out a high quote because they don't wanna work with the person. It's a defense tactic. And then when they say, yes, I do wanna work with you, it starts to open your mind that there are more people out there willing to spend more. And I encountered this years ago before the podcast where this happened a couple times. Where I was, you know, just specifically focused on an audio mastering world and I wasn't recording anybody and people would still occasionally reach out to me. And if they were a good friend, I would be like, eh, here's the quote, but don't hire me. I'm way too expensive. You could get somebody else for half the price. And every time I did that, they'd say, yes, when you have this opportunity to throw out a quote that you're okay with losing and people say yes to it, it exactly what you said, John, it opens their mind. So man, tell us a story about that.
2: I think something that a lot of creative freelancers and it took me a long time to get out of this don't realize is how powerful it is to not need to close or or to to go in just assuming like i just and that's how i felt i've talked to artists that i work with right now i've tried to deter them from working with me because i wasn't sure if it was right and it's like yo i don't know if this is correct and i genuinely mean it like i'm just not attached to you saying yes right now i will show you why i think you're i'm the answer if i do I think people say it as a tactic, like "Oh yeah," like I, like, like try to trick themselves, but they they secretly are like uh, uh, like for like clinging on to to wanting to work with somebody. But if they don't say yes, it'll be a reflection on who I am as a human being. Uh, yeah, and and I think that's because they're in that that pit of you know the charging low prices. They need to get the next one, and it, it creates this impossible vicious circle and i think there's so much that they forget where it's like that's why having another income source outside of it is actually like a pretty baller superpower yeah to where when you want to when you want to build something you can say no and be like yeah i don't actually need to to say yeses here's how i can serve you up to you that that's how i've always approached it and if i don't want to work some with somebody i'll just be like yo i just walk away i i haven't thrown out like an fu price fu price for like maybe three or four years now because i'll just say like yo this isn't it I'm trying to think 10 years, like like the next 10 years, I'm, I'm only 27, you know, and, and I'm trying to think of when I'm 37, 47, like what will people be saying about me? And I don't want it to be like, yeah, John said yes to that. Cause I think he wanted my money. Like, that's not who I want.
0: Mm. Yep. And, but to get to that place, I would say it takes time. You're wise beyond your years, John. Cause when I was 27, I was probably saying yes to the projects I should have been saying no to. So I was definitely not there at that point. I think just now at 35, I just turned 35 this week
2: Hey-o. just now.
0: Just now I'm 35, I am just out of the place, I feel, where I have consistently turned down clients or projects that I did not think was right for me. And I think that's the place that we should all strive to be. And it starts with, in my opinion, charging premium rates for what you do, going back to you, to your business model, John, because that opens up so much more opportunity to fully serve your clients the way they deserve to be served. And for you, just to kind of bring this back, and then we're going to kind of go on to the next section here, just to bring this back, John is able to... Fully flexes creative muscle, which creates a better end product because he's put so much of himself into the project, which makes clients happier, which increases referrals and word of mouth because they see how much work John puts into things, which brings other people to his studio. And because he's so good at what he does now, he's able to pick whatever one he wants, he can cherry pick the clients he wants. He can say no to the ones he doesn't want. And he's saying yes to the clients that he gels well with, that the music's going to turn out the way he wants. It scratches his creative itch. And at the end of the day, it's the things that he wants to actually work with, which makes the projects more fun for him and fulfilling for him. So it's this wonderful cycle that continues and continues and continues.
1: I think one of the most fascinating pieces about this conversation is something I've struggled with a lot. And I think all of us have of assuming that everybody else, all of your clients see money in the same way that you do. Some people value time, some people value convenience, some people value pleasure, some people value money. And I think the assumption is when you're starting to work with a client, that if you're going to throw out a high quote like that, that they're going to value money the same way you do. And they're going to, if you're price sensitive, if you're always trying to get a good deal, it's hard to charge high rates. It's hard to get to that point. There's a quote that I love and that you've heard
0: many times, John, and it's, you sell like you buy. And so if you're the type of person who's always looking for a deal, if you're the type of person who's always trying to save a buck and and spend 30 hours saving a buck, if you're the kind of person who is always trying to negotiate down and lowball people, you're going to get treated the exact same way with your clients because you're going to be selling that exact same way because that's what you expect from other people. And it is incredible what you can accomplish in a sales conversation, which we'll get to sales in a bit with John. It's incredible what you can do when you're selling your services and what kind of prices you can command when you willingly and openly Spend money to invest in your business. And I know for a fact that John, not just with my course and back in the day, he's invested thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know how much money you've invested back into your own education. And then that has shown in how you sell your services.
2: Yeah, I have spent, I probably between 15 to 20 grand on learning in the last 18 months. That, and, and I've literally never gone on the phone call, not ready to buy. I'm just like, cool. Is this going to get me where I want to go? is this going to get me the thing I want? Fab, fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I just, and it comes across and I think I understand when there's somebody who wants to get it done, you know, like, not to f- fluff my own booty over here, but wants to get it done well <laughs> and, and wants to get it done with care and and like is understanding that patience is going to create something better that will give them the opportunity to stand out and to, to impress people who stumble upon them. It, it's, yeah, like like I I just couldn't understand somebody who could get to that point without doing it themselves. So
0: you've got this premium pricing that you're doing, John. You've got a really really good like process for for finding clients like you To me, you have the perfect business model as a producer, which is what I would try to get everyone to to duplicate is what you're doing, high dollar. You're really spending time with your clients. You're making them happy. But the the problem with this is like, you can have a really good product. You can make your clients really happy. They're going to refer clients to you, but you don't really control that. I I put a YouTube video talking about the word of mouth lie recently. But you do get the word out in another way that I think is worth diving into because we all have ourselves, essentially is what we're trying to sell. And John, thankfully what you're selling, which is yourself, is a beautiful thing. You do it in a clever way that I think most people fail to do, and that's through content creation. Can you talk about, and this is where we're going back to the top of funnel, the thing I started to talk about at the beginning of this interview, and we kind of got sidetracked the, through the pricing side of things. But you've got a really good product, but how do you get that product, which is your your services, your your production, how do you get that out into the world so people even are aware that you are offering this service?
2: Welcome to TikTok class. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's going down. I'm about to make everybody make a TikTok and actually take oh gosh—take care of it for a little bit. But actually, seriously, though, at the end of the day, like the, I, I'm going to reverse engineer it really quick because, because it's not as much that it's TikTok. It, it's in order for somebody, because I work in a very emotional service business, you know, that's very different than the, a podcast agency, very different I think even then, then mixing, mastering very different, you know, kind of like almost like a wedding photographer that you know, had a wedding person on and these services where it has to do with like a piece of somebody's heart, you know, like this last week in the studio, I worked with an artist whose song was about a really toxic breakup and some horrifying things. I probably, sh- I-, I won't even discuss that this ex did to them, a song about a uh, new love that somebody else is having a a song well, a song about sex. And <laughs> we, <laughs> so it's not as emotional, but it's, a, it's, about, it's about getting it. <laughs> and just like all these different parts, but like a lot of these are very personal. And even if it is about sex, like it's still like this expression of yourself and your sexuality. And that's very personal to, to express your sexuality publicly, every human you may ever encounter for the rest of your life. And because of that, it's not the kind of thing that I've personally ever felt made sense to be, you know, doing the kind of traditional like opt in to do it's just like, yo, this is you like, Hey John, tell I need to make a song about my, my mother's passing. Like that's, that takes a long time to, to find somebody to help you with that, that you, that you trust. So this isn't the kind of thing where I, I have a banger, like toolkit box about like how to. Process your grief into a song, 10 tips. <laughs> like that doesn't exist. Uh, well, maybe it does. I, I could be wrong. That's just not what feels authentic to me. So I, I've always gone with the no, like, and trust way of approaching things. And in order for people, you know, they have to know you who you are, they have to like not think you're a terrible poo poo. And then they have to, I forgot people do uh, bleep this. You guys bleep this now. And then they have to trust that you'll get the job done. So In That's the only way that you'll ever get hired to help anybody. And if you want people to know you, you can pay for it or have it come organically. So now we're at that point. And then, well, how could I find new people who might be benefiting from what I can help them with? Right now it's TikTok and in two years it'll be Blick Block or, you know, something on the the blockchain, like a social media on the blockchain is probably what's going to come next. Something that takes over with uh, NFTs where I'm, but that's a whole different conversation.
0: I can't wait for everything I've ever done to be on the blockchain permanently and irreversibly.
2: Yes, but that's the reason that I'm on TikTok and that's why I've taken it seriously the last two years is I know there's an opportunity to help people with how I work and how many terrible experiences people have had with other producers other engineers i know i can serve them better so it's my duty to help find those people and to bring them into my world so i can give them a positive experience so i can give them what they've been trying to get done for 2 years 5 years 10 years all these things that people have said they wanted to have happen and tiktok is where that currently is happening the the easiest to connect with those people so that's a really long way to say that yeah it's where the organic attention is if i want to find new people i only have a couple ways to do it and TikTok is where that's happening now.
0: I think you, you told a long-winded story for a very spe- specific reason. And that is knowing your audience. Like if I, like you said, if I'm going after uh, businesses who want to launch podcasts for my new podcast production agency, Good Fortune Media, if I'm looking for clients in, in that world, I'm probably not going to be on TikTok, first of all. And even if I am on TikTok, I'm going to be making wildly different types of content than you would be, John. i am making content that's reaching my specific type of audience, which is all my business owners. So for you, you're talking about the amount of emotion that goes into your work and the amount of emotion you're having to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I say deal with it in a nice way. It's just like you're having to manage that and put it into a, a craft into a song, which funny story. I believe it was one of Mark Eckert's assistants. His headline in his website was turn your trauma into a, a banger or something like that. <laughs> it's a really good headline. So all that to say, like your, your content is speaking to that specific individual and the real result of that is when people actually get on a sales call with you, which we'll get into, like they they're ready, they're already sold, they already know you're the person because they've already seen your content, they've already been following you for a long time. Can you talk about a how you approach content creation and then the effects of what that turns into?
2: For me, the content is a super long play, like I make very few pitches to like book me or hire me i I, I intentionally try to again, like very like 10, 20 year kind of a thing. It's like, I, I'm not concerned about the next like two months. I'm concerned about how many people I can connect with for the next 10 years and, and who, all right, I'll go with this metaphor. If I can, if I think of an airplane hanger and I can put as many people in that one room who all think that I am good at this thing, the more opportunity I have to help them with it. Like the more I can just cram a room full of people that think positively of me in some way through, and and again, through authentically what I'm good at and how I can help you, not like through being a, a fake person online. Like, this is what I'm good at. I, would th- I wouldn't have gotten here. <laughs> it would have been pretty quick. The more I can do that, the better. So I'm putting out content that I'm specifically trying to demonstrate that I'm an expert at what I do. That's the only thing that matters. I want to build my authority as somebody who's a great pop producer and also somebody who has that reciprocity and that two-way street. And so I'm accomplishing that through really two things. One is discussing or like breaking down other media, other music has been great. And you can do that in all forms, right? As a, and as any creative, you could break down uh, the cinematography of the real Mulan, the live action Mulan and why it felt like uh aggressive or something and talk about those shots. And maybe, does that make sense?
0: Yes, yeah. Or you can critique Cats the movie and how it should have never been made and why the animation was so weird and the
2: Exactly. They used the square paintbrush tool and it should have been the triangle <laughs> paintbrush tool, like uh program to to do the animation, and this is why it was bad. So I'm using a good amount of stuff that already exists, so it's kind of cross-appealing by also discussing pop culture and but then adding my commentary. And by default, I am me, who is a very flowery, plumpy flumper kind of an energy, you know, I'm obviously very good at what I do, but I have, I'm very floppy in a lot of ways. So I very much deter, I, I've gotten pushback on my energy, but that's exactly the point is like, I want people to know exactly what they're getting into. And then, they, then on the other side, some of my best content has been in the studio where it's a clip of me talking to an artist, coaching them through a moment, like discussing what I need out of them. And they're like, wow, that's not what it's like working with. This person, this other person, that was cool. Maybe I should go that maybe I should think about doing that next time. So they get to see that I know what I'm talking about, either through through popular songs or I'll use my own tracks that I've worked on and package it as like making a snow allegro track, making um M A D three track and re and package it that way and then also seeing me actually in the trenches with people. And it's like, wow, that he actually like truly genuinely cares and will take the time to make it right, which which is You know, and and then at that point, yeah, it's like, these are the things that they've struggled with, like people flexing or people being kind of not degrading, uh, demeaning towards them in a very emotional, creative process. And, And I don't want that to be how I'm seen at all.
0: Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our Absolute Accountability System. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. So you're creating, so you're creating this content and you said something earlier that I really want to, to, to touch on because this is a fear that so many people have when they're creating content on such a public platform like TikTok. You said you've gotten some pushback from some people, meaning somebody didn't like the content you created. Can you talk about like, why do you not care if someone basically shits on your TikTok content? Like I'm assuming you don't really care because you wouldn't keep putting it out if you, if you truly cared.
2: I, as sad as this may sound, I've had a very difficult time with with people ever even just foundationally understanding the path that I want to walk in my life. I'm used to being consistently judged by people very close in my life, and hence having a very small circle that people I want to spend my time with. That it's just almost comical that some anonymous scrotum on the internet. <laughs> thinks that they have an understanding of who I am as a person better than I do.
0: Based off of a 15 second TikTok clip.
2: Based off of a 15, somebody told me my content was damaging to the children on the app. (laughs) 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 And I'm also like, because they didn't agree with my harmonic analysis of uh, Cardi B's WAP. Because my justification was it felt more like a blues scale going from four flat five five at it. But then they're like, it's really, and I'm just like, uh, I don't care. Thanks for the interaction. I'll take it. But like, it's just so funny that people go there. Like, like I don't know. It, it's, I have that very like, oh, I feel, this is how you're spending your time. This is your precious life.
1: One of the things I think that's fascinating about the emotion when you're making content, when content's driving your business's growth, but the content also sometimes hurts you. I remember one time years ago, I got a comment on an ad that I was running that it looked like in the video, I was chewing gum and that the gap in my teeth was effing disgusting. And it was like, Oh, Oh <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I'm just trying to get someone to let me master their music for them." But I, I think what's funny that I found that I did with this and John, tell me if you, if you did this too, is I equally weight all comments, anything someone says to me negatively I assume that this person represents someone whose opinion I, I maybe should respect. I assume they're like 30 years old and relatively in- intelligent and somewhat educated. I don't think about, well, is this like the crazy person that yelled at me on the street yesterday that I was able to immediately look at and be like, man, they're they're struggling. On the internet, you don't really have that benefit. You just see their words. You think this. This is from an intelligent person whose opinion I should respect. It's not, that's not always the case. It's difficult to discount anything that someone says negatively when that's your business, man, that's intense.
2: It's very hard to emotionally detach from it. But I think the heart, I went through that curve too, where obviously when I was in on the floor of the rehearsal studio, I didn't have a life. It was actually quite sad in a lot of ways. It was very depressing and I had a vitamin D deficiency and a lot of problems going on in, in my in my heart, there's no windows. So when when you'd work a 14 hour day, I'd be like, "Whoa, where was the sun?" Well, I guess I'll go back to sleep in the same box I'm in.
1: The only person in Los Angeles with a vitamin D deficiency.
2: I, I think through that moment, like when I realized that people just how could they understand? I, I've never received critic- that kind of criticism from somebody I, I actually respect. And if I did, it would not be pa- it would not be packaged in that way. If one of you two lovely gentlemen. Gave me a critique. It would be well constructed. It would be polite. And you, well, I know Brian's a bit more coarse, but it would it would be. I understand Brian, your style a bit. So I know that you're that you're just going to throw it down. But I, I filter it through how you deliver things. And I'm not expecting how I would give criticism.
0: I I brought this up though because I it's it is a really important point because would you say that content creation is the core of your of your like lead generation in your business or is it through other means?
2: It's absolutely everything.
0: Here's, here, and here's the central, the central thing that I want to get a, a point across to everyone listening. So if, again, if you're multitasking, putting your dishes away, and you've kind of zoned out for some re- ridiculous reason, because John's amazing, and you should listen to every word he says, yeah, just come back to us here. If John failed to ignore the haters and, and push through the fear of, of using TikTok or some sort of content creation platform, he would not have a business. That's how important it is to get past the fear here. And the, the other side of this is if you are not getting hateful comments in content you're creating. You're not trying hard enough. You're not doing anything interesting enough because the people who put out bland, boring content get bland, boring comments, if any interaction at all. The people who actually get interaction are the ones who are getting people who absolutely love them and absolutely hate them. And if you want any proof of this, go look at our political uh, situation in 2020 and you'll see the, the love and hate on both sides and how that basically is the way it works when it comes to a popularity contest these days. Now, I'm not saying to go that ridiculous. Don't create wild and crazy content just for the sake of it, but just know that if, if anything, most people, especially creatives venture on the safe side because they have an innate fear of being judged and being rejected. And John, you don't, you, you still, I'm sure you just like anyone else have that same innate fear, but you found a way to get past that.
1: One of the things that we talk about, Brian, a lot as we're coming up with ideas for content here that's right on, right on topic with this is Tim Ferriss is sort of famous for saying, make content that 10% of your audience will absolutely go crazy for. I think the death blow that you can, that you can get into when you're making content is to just try to make something that everybody likes, even across all your fans. He's talking about focus on, you know, you know, we, we uh, a long time ago did a tax episode and we knew like eh, people in the, to date yeah. to date it's the worst episode uh, by download numbers we've
0: ever done <laughs> I, I think <laughs> but well, i guarantee you it was the highest quality concentration of our audience because the people yep. who care about taxes are the ones who are serious about their business
1: well not only that but it was an international issue we're in america and people outside it wasn't useful to them
0: no one was making fun of us for that episode. So let that be clear. I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to get the point across, especially for John here, as you push through the fear and put the content out anyways. How often are you putting out content on TikTok?
2: Now, well, very soon as everything gets uh, launched out, it's, it'll be about one to two a day. So about 10, 10 to 12 a week is what we'll be doing on TikTok and Reels. And then I'll, I'll myself try to do like two to three things on the gram and Facebook. My, but really the focus is the vertical content.
0: But John, I'm a creative and I just want to work in my studio or in, in my office and create all
2: day. I don't have time to do TikTok. Oh, I love this. So, okay. I What I would say to that, what I would say to that is I'd say, I'm fully in support of that. If you've heard the argument in favor of it and you're not interested in doing that, that's totally okay. And I, at the end of the day, don't care if you choose to do it or not. It is unaffecting my life. So do what you want, but I would also hope you can understand the potential ramifications and consequences of that decision. So as long as you feel that you've been informed of the benefits, what it takes to to potentially get it done, and you say, I'm not interested in doing that, I'm gonna say, sounds great. Have a great day. I just don't that I've said my piece. Thanks. Good luck. (laughs) Like that that
1: I wish you all the best. So how have you found enough time to to make all this content, John? He's load he's loading it up, baby. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. I thought I
0: did, but I didn't do a good enough job. Chris, thanks for pushing the final mile there.
2: So that's a great question, Chris. Well, as it it became really, it, it was a, a an arc because if you, my approach has always been, sorry, I'm scratching my head on camera. I realize I'm the one that's also up as I'm speaking. So if you don't have enough going on and you need help connecting with the right people to serve with your work, then your job is to make content. I mean, that's how I approach it. Like, like oh, I don't have, Something to work on today. My job is to make a thing, even if I was really bad at it and it was terrible and it got no interaction. It did, it did nothing. I, that was my regimen. And then as I got busier, of course, that became into an issue. So with a lot of uh, ebbs and flows, I had to kind of navigate that. And I hit that this sticking point recently. And that's when we started working together, Chris. Boom, there's oh, the pitch. We're in. it is. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the first things that we talked about was a system for content because content is the lifeblood of everything that I do. And I'm not even just talking about certain, like, I think also quick, quick aside, and I'm going to get back to this. The, the wildest thing about content is that it creates opportunities that you can never predict when you are publicly out there in the world. So for example, mm. I have had, you know, a significant amount of money come in from brand deals, from for creating TikToks for creating on YouTube for creating for other companies purely because they're like yo that guy that guy can make things that look good and he's articulate wow he and he's not a total flaky sack like he's we should go work with him and i'm even doing a giveaway with slate digital next month because they like my content and we're going to partner up to do like a really cool contest and purely from me making content
0: so if anyone's listening that's not in the audio world slate digital is like one of the bigger software plugin companies in the audio world.
1: How do you, so I I think a good story for you that I'd love to hear you tell John is to talk about how you began to reinvest into marketing. So you were making content, you realized it was working, so you decided to make more content. In the same way, if you're running ads and the ads are working, you should spend more on the ads and figure out where does it start to level off? Where does the investment start to not turn the same return? So you found pretty good pretty right off the bat that, wow, this content is working. I will make more of it and it will work more. How did you do that?
2: Uh, It started off, I think, pretty unhealthfully with a lot of, you know, overworking. And, but then as I got more in demand and I'm very fortunate to be a lot more in demand than I was two years ago, I had, yeah, I hit that sticking point where it became a matter of like, well, how can I become more efficient while not sacrificing quality? And that's when I had my first experiences outsourcing with editors for my YouTube content and kind of the Mongo machine, Mongo, mega, mega machine. There we go. That sounds way better. The mega machine of content that I've put together to allow me to focus on kind of the the Gary V document don't create where I can sit down and for one day a month and create everything I need to. And I have like a really intensive set of, of, checklists and instructions and form submissions and protocols for somebody else to follow to where now I am essentially duplicating myself by handing all that off to them. And they are executing at like an A 95%, every, yeah, 90 to 95% every single time on like the first swing at something minus maybe the copywriting. That's been the hardest thing. But Besides that, getting a lot of it off the plate. And that was probably, that was the first thing I know we worked on when we started uh, working together, Chris, which was like, how, how do we get more of this off my plate? So it really came down to, once I knew the the three things essentially that were effective, I'm not trying to innovate too far beyond that. It's like, this is working. This is great. I am a service provider. I don't necessarily want to be an influencer. That's, I have no interest in doing that. I want to now make sure I can focus and serve these people as best as I can which means now this has to get reduced by 90% and handed off to somebody. So I essentially actually got forced into it. Like like it was that or, or not have a life.
1: That's awesome. I I think for most people, when they start to realize how I need to do more of the things that are working, but in order to do more of the things that are working, I have to get more efficient and to get more efficient, I have to build dope systems. And This thing that you're talking about of of having these come to Jesus moments, I think is how everyone that has ever gotten, that has ever become a systems ninja or has had some level of success systemizing their business. It's necessity. If it's just like, I'm going to build a business and I'm just going to think about all my systems at the same time. Necessity is the mother of invention. I think overwhelm is the mother of systems.
0: Yeah, so just for anyone listening right now, like this is something you will inevitably hit, especially when you hit the six figure mark, because as a creative, unless you're, unless you're like working with corporate clients and you're working with like super high dollar budgets, the hundred, $150,000 mark is when you hit that, that first massive bottleneck in your business where you can, you can no longer, you hit a ceiling on your income. So it's really hard to get up above that. You hit a ceiling with your time. So where you're maxed out all the time, you're always overwhelmed. You start dropping the ball. And so your quality starts to drop. And so this is, this is, we've talked about this many times with you, Chris, about how you hit this moment where it like almost ruined your business and you were forced to build out systems in your business to get past that bottleneck in your business. And you're one of the few people who, with your awful business model of really low dollar <laughs> projects, just being candid with you, it was an awful business model. You were the few, one of the few who managed to have such crazy systems to scale above the hundred, hundred fifty thousand, 150000 maybe even $200,000 a year with that specific business model. And I think everyone, when they hit
1: that part of their business, you know it, you absolutely know it. John, I think where you're at right now is you've encountered, just like I did and just like every, every small business owner does, that there are different stages of your business that you need something to change to break through. For me, breaking through 25K the first time in a year was really hard. It took me like six or seven years.
0: And that's usually a marketing problem.
1: Yeah. Well, as a a whole lot of problems, but yeah, basically a marketing problem. And then, you know, I started figuring it out and I got to 60. And then breaking 60 was kind of challenging. And then 90 was also pretty difficult to break. And I had to build new systems at each of these stages in my business to break me through that ceiling. I'd sort of hit this plateau of hell, I think is what we've called it in the podcast in the past of like, okay, I'm as busy as I can stand to be working with as many customers as I can stand to work with charging as much as they can stand to pay uh, something has to change. And in that moment, it's efficiency. It's systems, it's automation, it's systemizing so that you can delegate. A lot of people, they want to delegate to somebody else, but they can't find someone smart enough because they don't have any systems.
2: Yeah, I love, you know, so those, that archit you talked about, I've gone through those similar different bumps. And one thing I've, from what I've seen, like in community posts and conversations with people, and I really want to caution anybody, really just everybody, but I mean, obviously I'm not going to speak for above my pay grade on this. For because I think a lot of people who are having some success in doing, in their work and what they're doing, they want to over-systemize before they need it. Like I've seen some ridiculous yeah. questions in, in the community group where they're like asking these really advanced, like, how do I create the bibbly boop like, That Like,
0: is literally just procrastination.
2: Yeah. And I've had that conversation. I'm like, yo, so how are things going? And they're like, I'm just getting ready for it to go good. And it's like, that's the problem is you won't know the the system the next process the thing you need to eliminate how to get better at this until there's a ferocious necessity to do it because then you only then do you kind of like yeah take a step back and look at the balloon and like what is actually in this thing now but when you're not there you can just yeah fantasize about what the problem could be and build out tons of zaps but then when you actually get to that point you're like all oh, this is garbage actually what i need is this so i i think on the back of that, I also want to just caution people like to, to make sure that you, you are needing almost not, hopefully not at the hell point, but when you get close to it, you like look back at how things are going mm. and you're like, okay, for sure. All right, those things. All right, great. So before I burn out, I'm going to go and take care of that. And, and then, yeah. and then you address it instead of, I think uh, you yeah, have the tendencies to over planning, procrastination, and you have so many dope things that you use once every six months that took 12 hours to build. And it's like, well, totally. You could have just, you could have just, done more i love that well
1: and i think that's one of the reasons that it's so important to build a business it can do two things one that you can bring people in to help you work in the business and two so that you can bring people in to help you work on the business and that's one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is just building out systems but also documentation to go with those systems so that your assistant can change the system you know, having, these are called SOPs, but building a business out where you're inevitably going to hit another plateau in the future. And right now the plateau you and I are working on is becoming an automation ninja so that everything that is not the crap that you love is either automated or systemized and then delegated. And man, I, I love that. And I think that's a really, really exciting vision, but you're going to hit a plateau again in the future where maybe this time it's going to be marketing, or maybe this time it's going to be hiring a ton of people. You don't know, but you need to build a business that allows you to bring other people in to help you break through these plateaus. And John, that's one of the things I admire about you so much. When you and I started working together, I knew you and Brian had started started working together. I knew you had taken Dan Henry's course. You're a grower. You recognize when you're hitting a plateau, when you are overwhelmed, and that you need someone else to come in and help you break through that. And that's awesome, dude. That speaks volumes of your heart and your mind.
0: Yeah, so to to take the awkwardness out, because literally no one on earth can sit and listen to a compliment about themselves for that long, Chris, and then have anything witty to say back. <laughs> okay, well all that all that to say though is is you're going to hit these roadblocks and and being willing to reinvest back in your business is an, an important part of that. And I, and I can just tell you as someone who has reinvested over a hundred grand back into my business, just on the education side in my life, like in my last decade of business, I am telling you this as someone who has spent ridiculous amounts of money to be better at what I do, not someone who is selling you education because it's really hard to have a Opinion when you are also selling some sort of course or product in the back end, but I'm just telling you as someone who has spent a ton of my own money on education and, and improving my own systems or honestly improving myself because in business, like we, we hit these roadblocks because of a lack of a few things, majority of them are skills, some are character traits. And then a lot of it is a mindset issue or that we have to get past. And sometimes it's all three of those things. We have to get past the money roadblock so that we can have a self-improvement character trait so that we can learn the skills that we need to develop in order to get past these roadblocks. And John is, is on this podcast today because like four years ago, he, he, Started that self-improvement journey and went from literally laying on his floor, sleeping with a vitamin D deficiency to now earning over six figures a year, coming on our podcast, sharing some of his wisdom with us. Honestly, I wish you were here to share more wisdom with us, but we kind of got to wrap this interview up. And and it is because you have constantly reinvested in yourself and you have the self-awareness to know that that you are not necessarily good enough to overcome every roadblock you hit on your own. And sometimes it takes help from other people.
1: And that's so beautiful, Brian. Like it's asking for help. I think is one of the hardest things in the entire world. And I'm, I mean that from the standpoint of business. I mean that personally. I mean it across the across the board. You know, John, I think what's so cool about your story is that you clearly went from a place of perpetual overwhelm to you're winning the war, man. Like you are marching down the field and the future is crazy. 10 years from now, what are you going to be doing? It's going to be unbelievable to watch you on that on that trip. And it's just so cool to see you defeat Overwhelm, man. It's a battle for all of us for the rest of our lives, but you are, you're looking good over there, bud. You're doing great.
2: Well, thank you guys so much. It's, yeah, it's really just incredible to be here. And I am not against having, yeah, there's, there's so many things I, w- I would love to, to continue to talk about.
0: John, as we wrap this interview up, is there anywhere you'd like to send our listeners?
2: Two things. One, if you thought this was helpful, like the biggest thing for me would be if you hit me up and told me it was helpful. Like I would rather, I, I actually could pitch some things, but I'm not even going to bother doing it. If you want to, you can ask and then I'll pitch you something. How about that? But really what, what is most important to me is to know that this conversation was helpful. And then that way, if you also bombard Brian and Chris saying how incredibly insightful having me on was, they'll invite me on again. And eventually the truth. I, I might even become a co-host one day. That's. I'm putting it out in the universe. I'm manifesting it right now.
0: There's always the the Mark Eckert approach of being the substitute co host for an episode or two.
2: It's all right. I got time. I got time. I got plenty of time. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, John. Dude, thanks guys so much.
1: Yeah, man, we love you. We care about you. It's fun to watch you prosper.